Hello, and welcome to Strange Sound. I'm Joe. This is episode 70 of Strange Sound. 70. 7-0, my friends. 70 episodes of this amazing show. This consequential piece of uh, opinion. Opinionating, bloviating, whatever you want to call it. Glad to have you with me. So glad that you're listening today. Um... To proceed with my standard disclaimer, the views expressed on Strange Sound are my own. They are my own. They uh, reflect the views neither of any of my friends or neighbors or countrymen, but (laughs) uh, they also do not reflect necessarily reflect the views of my uh, co-workers or my employer or my uh, relatives or my, uh, I don't know, people associated with me on social media. No, these are just my views. I am expressing them freely as per my right as an American, a right which we all covet, of course. And we are all very proud of this right. Anyway, just uh, putting it out there, my friends. In any case, episode 70, we're going to, um, as is my habit currently, I'm going to read my latest blog post, which has been up for a couple of days now. Um, I actually posted it. This is, I'm recording this on Saturday, July 3rd. It will likely be posted on Monday, July 5th. Um, and the blog post was posted on Friday, July 2nd. You can find the blog post actually at big-green.net. Just follow the blog link uh, click the blog tab. That'll bring you down to a link for our uh, Hammer Mill Days blog. You click through that, and you will get to the landing page for the blog. Um, this post that I will be reading today will probably be the second one down. Um, if you click on political rants, you will find it at the top of the list. And the post, the political rant or furious rant, as I call it on this show, is entitled, I'm just grabbing it now, I'm getting my tablet, here we go, excellent production values. The um, political rant I will be reading today is entitled, Wearing Out Our Welcome in Iraq. And it goes something like this. Biden dropped bombs on Iraq and Syria again this week this time using F-15s and F-16s. This is the president's second large action against what the administration describes as Iranian-backed groups. They claim this action is in self-defense, invoking the UN Charter, presumably Article 51. Nancy Pelosi piped up with her own cry of support for the attack, stating that, quote, protecting the military heroes who defend our freedoms is a sacred priority, unquote. Now, what the fuck freedoms are these heroes defending? And how is it self-defense to hit back against local forces that are resisting our presence in their own country? A country, mind you, that didn't ask us to invade in the first place and that has explicitly asked us to leave. Like all empires, we have an expansive sense of our own sovereignty. We feel put upon when the locals rise against us. I know we were all happy when Donald Trump had the nuclear launch codes taken away from him. And his assassination of Soleimani was an obvious and 
reckless provocation coming from an administration that that put Iran on notice in its first week and tore up the JCPOA. That said, they still stride around the Middle East as if they own the place, and that should be just as unacceptable to us as when Trump did it. Even worse, the Biden foreign policy team is leaving bad policies in place from the previous regime. They are essentially in agreement with much of it, and because they are generally more competent than the last crew, they in some ways may pose an even greater threat to the cause of peace. And again, what the hell are we doing in Iraq anyway? Our troops should leave now. In fact, they should never have been there in the first place. Of course, there was a reason why they went there in the first place. The Bush administration sold the war in Iraq to the American people, or at least to enough of them, for the tanks to start rolling. An important part of that sales effort was Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld, who died this week. I've never made a habit of dancing on people's graves, and I'm not about to start now. Suffice to say that this man did a lot of damage in his life. He helped push two disastrous wars that resulted in the deaths of many hundreds of thousands of people. Simply put, he was a horrible man in many respects. Of course, he had a lot of help on this sales job. The mainstream press was a tremendous help. At the height of Rumsfeld and Bush's popularity, before the Iraq war went predictably down the drain, the press was even painting Rumsfeld as some kind of warped sex symbol. I remember having a hard time with that as I waited in supermarket checkout lines, looking at People Magazine or Us or whoever was blowing Rumsfeld that week. Jesus, how nauseating can you get? Anyway, one of the main architects is now gone. Time to stop this stupid-ass war once and for all. Love you, Joe. Yes, that's my furious rant for the week. Brief as it is, rife with typos as it is. <laughs> there you have it, my friends. I'm just whipping these things off. That's all. I just type, and I think later, and then I type a little bit more. And I read it into strange sound, which makes strange sound extra strange. Um, again, you can uh, read this this blog post and other blog posts um, dating back, God knows, 20 years now, um, at big-green.net. Just follow the political rants, the, first the blog link and then the political rants link to the category of uh, political rants, which I call furious rants for some strange reason. Anyway, what else do I have to say about this? Well, for one thing, I'm going to adjust my volume here because it appears to be a little bit too low. Hello, hello. Can you hear me now? Okay, good. Um, yes, uh, Rumsfeld died. And, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not dancing on anybody's grave. That's, that's all there is to it. But his policy lives on. <laughs> and he was particularly happy about the Iraq war. Uh, he never recanted his support for the Iraq war. He was proud of what he did. He, he never really backed off from it. He defended it left and right. I mean, he fell from favor, obviously. And, you know, when he fell from favor, um, the press kind of, abandoned him and, you know, moved on. But the press did help float that guy. And, you know, they bear a lot of responsibility for this. 
there's a kind of a gee whiz factor to uh, press coverage of wars generally has been for for many years um it's something that they particularly picked up um during the gulf war and through those those years following the gulf war they got kind of excited about war again you know they started putting on the flak jackets and putting on the helmets and following the troops in and and interviewing people and you know basically being pool reporters and you know um doing whatever the the general told them to do um and truth be known i i think you know people like i'm going to use brian williams as an example but there's there's many many examples i mean he actually got himself in trouble and really got himself fired from the nightly news uh, as the nightly news anchor uh, because he exaggerated his own experience in Iraq, you know, that he was under fire at some point. But I mean, if you can remember how he used to report on his experiences overseas, you know, during the early days of the war on terror, during the Bush administration, he used to have this tremendously animated um, tone to his voice. It's like people like him have this tremendous envy of the adventure of militarism. I mean, I, I assume Brian Williams has never been anywhere near a shot fired in anger other than, you know, as a journalist. I'm sure that he didn't serve in the military, but I, I don't know this for a fact. I'm, I'm assuming he didn't. Um, <laughs> you, you know, but they, so they have this kind of like strange joy about, you know, serving in uniform and being heroic and putting your life on the line for something bigger than yourself and all this crap. And uh, that's a lot of what, you know, sold the Iraq war to the American people. That's one of the reasons why they were so successful in, in you know, getting it over the edge, even though there was, you know, the, the country was split on this. A lot of people probably remember the country was split on whether to go into Iraq or not. It was more or less split down the middle. If anything, there was a slight majority against it, even after world, even after the World Trade Center went down. Um, still, you know, people were reluctant to do it, but um, it went forward because it was they had the wind at their back. The Bush administration had the wind at their back, and they were going to use that opportunity. I've talked about this in previous podcasts, and you've you've heard it many ways, you know, many places before. They had the wind at their back because of 9-11, and they, they wanted to push their advantage. This was a plan that they had in place. Um, a lot of the planners that were part of the Bush administration have been planning on this for years, um, I talked about how I had heard from a particularly well-connected activist um, early on in the Bush administration before 9-11 that they were planning on invading Iraq. Um, there are plenty of stories like that. They they certainly had a, a, a clear-cut <laughs> plan to do that before the end of their administration. And, and they did it because they had the ability to do it. They didn't have to, it was almost a pre-sold commodity and the press helped them. And I wasn't going to make this, I wasn't going to make this podcast about the press so much as about just our presence in Iraq, our continuing presence in the region, in both Iraq and Syria and in other countries in the region. But I mean, honestly, 
part of the reason why we're there is because we got we sent people there in the first place. And the press plays a role in this. Now if you watch if you watch the news now, if you watch even the so-called liberal news media like MSNBC and you listen to their coverage of the withdrawal from Afghanistan, you will search in vain to find someone um, who agrees with the idea of leaving Afghanistan. I've been listening to the coverage. My, my wife watches a lot of MSNBC, and I've been listening to reports on Afghanistan from MSNBC and from NBC corporate, um, and almost none of them, there's maybe a couple of voices who say, well, you know, we've been there for 20 years. Um, you know, some of, the, some of the columnists will say that, but they're very few and far between. And mostly the narrative is from people like, I don't know, Joe Scarborough, um, or some of their national security reporters, or some of their foreign co- correspondents, you know, talking about how, how difficult it's going to be for Afghanistan after we leave and how we're leaving abruptly and how we're leaving people in the lurch and we didn't warn them that we were leaving because we want to leave under cover of darkness because we do everything there under the cover of darkness after 20 years. I just want to raise the point too that, you know, on Scarborough's show uh, last week when they were discussing this, this point, Scarborough actually, you know, disagrees, apparently disagrees with the idea of leaving Afghanistan and was repeating the 2008, you know, John McCain line about how we were in, you know, we've been in, we spent decades in Germany, we're still in Germany and Germany's at peace and we're still in, in Korea and Korea's at peace and, and all, you know, all this stuff about how long-term occupation isn't necessarily a bad thing. And the thing that they never mention, um, I, I know one of, uh, one of Scarborough's interlocutors, I think it was uh, Gene Robinson, did, did raise the point in a, in a sense by saying that, you know, that these, that the examples that he's naming are, that he was naming such as, you know, Germany and Korea are, you know, modern states with, you know, functioning democracies and that sort of thing. It's also the fact that Afghanistan is still a war zone. Afghanistan is still at war with itself. You know, this is not, this is still a war zone. (laughs) People still come to, you know, when political leaders come to Afghanistan, they still come in secret. That's not what you do in Germany, right? We're not still fighting skirmishes with Nazis in Germany, right? We're not, we're not still, I mean, there's tensions on the Korean Peninsula, but it's not in an open state of war every single day. Like Afghanistan, which is essentially a failed state, which is essentially at war with itself and has been at war with itself for decades. And I'm not laying that at the Afghans' door. They've had a lot of help, especially from the United States of America. And if Joe Scarborough has any questions about that, he should ask his wife, who is the daughter of the guy who, you know, started aiding the Mujahideen in the late 1970s to give 
the Soviets a pain in the ass, and he was mostly focused on Eastern Europe at that time. He didn't give a shit what happened to the Afghans. He didn't care what happens to Afghanistan. Like I've said about Vietnam in previous podcasts, um, the war in Afghanistan was almost never about Afghanistan. <laughs> it was really about other, you know, it's, it's, an, it's one of these like great power moves where they use somebody's country as a bludgeon to hit somebody else over the head. It's like when the Russians and the Japanese had a war you know, in the in the twentieth century, and they fought it out in in China. <laughs> so it had nothing to do with China, but the Chinese had to suffer through the fact that these two powers were fighting each other. And it's it's kind of the same in Afghanistan, right? I mean, we backed aside in Afghanistan, and the Russians had backed aside in Afghanistan. Um, and we, you know, poured money into what we thought would give them the biggest pain in the ass. I've talked about this in previous episodes, so I'm not going to detail about this. But what I'm saying is the idea that <laughs> that we should, like, remain there forever is ludicrous. And I would ask any of these commentators, like Joe Scarborough, I would ask him if he's willing to send his son to guard the Afghan government against um, its own people, whatever you think of those people, right? And I'm no big fan of the Taliban. I've said this on previous episodes. I don't like the Taliban. I don't like their I don't like their political leanings or their point of view. But they are a product of our bad policy from previous decades, as I've said before, right? But you will search in vain in the American press to find a commentator or a program that, that I mean, I'm sure it's out there. I haven't seen every single piece of news, but you will search very hard to find people who agree with the idea of leaving Afghanistan. These conflicts create their own logic and they perpetuate themselves. And unless you withdraw, unless you pull out and end it deliberately at some point, and I agree with the president on this, to a limited extent, because, I mean, I think the way he's doing it is is, is kind of stupid, but the, <laughs> the idea of doing it is not a bad idea. And I think he's he's basically putting a stake in the ground saying, this is it, we are ending this. We are not going to do this again. And, you know, that's, I don't disagree with that. Now, I think, you know, we should be doing more for Afghanistan for having used them as a punching bag and as a bludgeon against the Russians, for one thing, starting in the 19, late 1970s into the 1980s and, and since. Yeah, we owe them big time, but we're not going to address that anytime soon. I mean, in fact, the people who actually helped us in, in recent decades in Afghanistan will be lucky if they get any kind of protection. It seems like they're kind of approaching that in a ham-fisted way, too. So, uh, yeah, this is... <laughs> I guess this episode is turning to, into kind of a critique of the press. But that's 
they're they're a uh, they're a participant in these conflicts as much as the Pentagon and the you know and and the uh, White House is and the Congress is. I mean, they don't facilitate it, they don't fund it, but but they do a lot of the argument that they create a lot of the arguments that convince people that invading another country is a good idea. And in these cases, it's not a good idea. In fact, it's hard to find a justification for doing this, right? One of the things, I mean, I would cite Chomsky on this because um, he pointed this out. He did a pretty thoroughgoing analysis of the Pentagon Papers when they came out um, and his writing subsequent to their release in really the decade after their release or even longer, um, did some pretty in-depth uh, analysis of of what's in them. And, and you, can, you can find this in some of his talks. But he's talked about how one of the things that the Pentagon Papers revealed, and they didn't really reveal that much that wasn't known, <laughs> if you really looked for it. But he said one of the things that, that they showed that was interesting was the fact that people in the government were in some ways more skeptical than the press was at the time in, in terms of, of how they viewed the conflict. I mean, they had an imperial view of it, obviously, but they were a lot less sanguine about, about the success of the policy than even the press was at the time. Um, so a lot of times people give credit to the press for helping to bring an end to the, the Vietnam War. Uh, that's not entirely justified. I mean, they didn't, they weren't really against the war. If you look back, I mean, there were, there are some examples of people who spoke out against, um, aspects of the war against the draft, that sort of thing. But it was pretty marginal. Um, the press was kind of a cheerleader for it. And some of the outrage, like after the Tet Offensive, was was based in something like, well, you know, I th- thought we were winning this thing. You know, it was that, that kind of an attitude. If you look back and see what, like, what Cronkite said at the time, it's, it's actually more like, we thought we were winning. Well, that isn't what I would term the principal... Um, problem with the Vietnam project back in, in the 1960s, um, whether or not we are winning, you know, that is not, <laughs> that wouldn't be my primary consideration in evaluating the Vietnam war. Uh, the fact that we were killing hundreds of thousands of people, um, that is a little bit more important and salient, it seems to me. And uh, that didn't seem to really much bother anybody, as far as I can see, except for people out in the public. Um, and, of course, the, the deaths of the young people we were sending over there to, to fight it. So, uh, yeah, uh, I guess I guess my main point today, and uh, I don't want to go on about this too long, but my main point today is simply that... Um, We've been in Iraq too long. We've been in Syria too long. We've been in 
a lot of these deployments, Afghanistan, obviously too long. Um, and part of the reason why we stay there is political inertia. And part of the reason is, um, the, uh, political economy of empire and of foreign intervention. But also another part of the reason is just the media depiction of what's happening over there and how they how they report on this. It's how they report on on foreign intervention. I mean, occasionally they're critical. There are critical voices out there, but not as many as there need to be. They seem to be really, once again, like during the Vietnam era, they seem to be really far behind the American public on this. In fact, it, it seems to me like the only... <laughs> the the only element of American culture that is against continuing in Afghanistan is the public at large, right? Most of articulate opinion and most of the media are against pulling out of it. Either strongly against it or against the timing, you know, there's there's different shades of this. It's not all the same thing. But there's a lot of reluctance about leaving Afghanistan. And you know that after it happens, when things go septic over there, uh, they'll be the first to jump on the bandwagon um, in, in, like, blaming the president, right? Or, or criticizing different elements of the national security um, team. Right. And believe me, you know, they deserve criticism. There's no question. But <laughs> this policy um, is being pushed by the media. Um, this, the policy of staying in Afghanistan and in these other conflicts is, is being supported by the media. I say pushed. That's a little bit too strong. Let's say supported by the media and uh really the only element of our society that's against it is you know the largest element which is all of us i think generally the american public are tired of <laughs> of this endless deployment in afghanistan and i think in a certain sense the president understands this and is responding to that He's a bit of a cipher. Um, and people have gone sour on this sort of thing, and it's understandably so. And I think that cuts across party affiliation. I think that cuts across ideological affiliation and affinity. Um, you know, it's, it's a very broad-based sentiment, and people are just tired of this. And who can blame us, right? And again, you know, when we leave, sure, uh, you know, the Afghan government is probably going to fold like a house cards like the uh, Russian-supported government did back in the 1980s and 90s, you know, just kind of fell apart um, because they didn't have their, you know, enforcer. They didn't have the power propping them up. Uh, we'll see what the American... Um, what 
our government does to keep the Afghan government going, but I don't know. I don't know how willing they'll be to to keep propping it up. Um, and, and this happens, right? Um, and I know there are a lot of people out there who you know look at some of the gains that women have had in Afghanistan and and are are really trepidated about this, and I can understand that. And, you know, maybe there's there's things that we can do to ameliorate that that are short of using force. You know, maybe it's aid. Maybe it's, you know, some kind of diplomatic work, you know, combined with aid, combined with, you know, I don't know, um, something. Uh, but the idea that we need to stay there and prop up a government that is is really dependent on the occupation for its very existence is just, it's ridiculous. It's unsustainable. If after 20 years, this government hasn't held, taken hold more firmly than that, it's not going to. It's really just a puppet government. And that's unsustainable. So what can I say? It's not great, but sometimes, and I've said this in previous episodes, and I'll, I'll close with this. It's it, sometimes <laughs> Americans have a problem with the idea that that certain problems have no solution, no good solution, right? You know, we always think that things are fixable. Sometimes you break things and you can't fix them. We broke Afghanistan. We broke it like we broke Iraq, like we broke like we broke Libya, like we played a role in breaking Syria. We broke Afghanistan. It's broken and it may be irreparable. And no amount of dicking around with it is going to fix it. Sometimes you can't fix things. Now I'm not saying we shouldn't try. But trying with the military is entirely different from trying with like aid and, you know, diplomacy and whatever. Um, I don't know. I just think that, you know, we, we need to, we need to realize that there are times when (laughs) even sort of well-meaning liberals, you know, will believe that this is, this is something we can do something about. And, uh, maybe there's just nothing we can do about it. Um, it's not fun facing up to that, but there you have it. On that sunny note, that's all I've got. I'd like to hear what you have to say. You can leave a one minute voice message when you go to anchor.fm slash strange sound. Just, uh, follow the link for doing so. Leave me a voice message. Uh, you can also contact me on Twitter at Strange Sound Pod. If you go to big-green.net and click on the contact link, you can find other ways to get in touch with me. I'd be happy to hear from you. Uh, if you have any pushback, I'm sure there are people out there who don't agree with what I said today or what I've said in previous episodes. Be happy to hear from you. Um, do a, like a conversation of some kind. You know, have have this turn into a discussion as opposed to a monologue by me. 
um, because you're probably sick of hearing from me. And uh, I'd be happy to, you know, hear your pushback if you change my mind. You know, I don't want to pull a, pull a Steven Crowder on you, but <laughs> change my mind. <laughs> I think we should pull out of Afghanistan. Change my mind. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, go right ahead. You can leave me voice messages. Uh, we can arrange to do a phone uh, recording or like a Skype call or a Zoom call or whatever technology you prefer and uh, be happy to play it on the show so long as you don't make too much of a monkey out of me and uh, maybe even if you do. Uh, so by all means, reach out. Hope all is well out there. Get your shots. Take good care of yourselves. Enjoy the holiday. We shall see you next time. Take care.